So welcome to our discussion of uh, Calvinism in the Christian Life, Lesson 6. This was a very interesting topic, and I struggled with uh, how exactly should it be presented. Um, but let me start out with a question. The question is, are you lovable? Is there something in you worthy of love? Is there anything that you do, anything that you think, anything that you are that isn't tainted by sin? You are a sinner. So does God really love you? We like to say, of course he does. God's love is unconditional. Unconditional. God's love is without condition. God's love is not derived from his creation. God is love, and we are his craftsmanship. God is love, so it is because he loves us that we are lovable. Not because of anything that we have done, and not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Let's start by reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Last week, in lesson number five, we engaged the topic of godly Catholicity. That there are divisions in the, divis in the visible church. 
Some of those divisions are over adiaphora, or matters not essential to faith. And some of those divisions are over matters as central as the message of the gospel. Let's return to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, as illumination of the Christian experience. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and said, The house was filled, or, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Let's key in again on verse 9 from 1 John chapter 4. It reads, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In the previous lessons, in this series, we learned that Calvinism is characterized by several pulse beats. When we ask the question, what does Calvinism look like in the life of a Christian? We mentioned the first pulse beat was a breathless wonder. That Calvinism manifests itself in doxology it manifests itself in prayer, and it manifests itself in being overwhelmed by, the, by an experience. We discussed a second pulse beat of grace-restrained humility 
That is a humility that honors God's sovereignty, that confesses, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. We spoke of the pulse beat of exultant adoration, that a Christian is a lover of Jesus Christ, meaning that we've been brought into the love that the Father has had for the Son since before the creation of the world. And the fourth pulse beat was a wholehearted consecration, a wholehearted devotion. It is us being brought into the marriage union between Christ and his church. We learned that grace was personal and that grace was God giving himself to us. This week again, we learn that Christianity is experiential. But again, we're reminded that Christianity is also Trinitarian. So the Trinity is experiential. When Paul says, what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Do you think that he was talking of the Father only? How do we experience the Trinity? Through today's lesson, we learned that it's through the work of the persons of the Trinity. The love of God is made manifest to us primarily through the work of the Father. The grace of God is made manifest to us primarily through the work of the Son. And comfort, assurance, confidence, and conviction are made manifest to us primarily through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we are called, as Christians, to love as the Father loves us. I'm going to read now from Mark 12, verses 28 through 31. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told a parable against them. So they left him and went away. That doesn't seem right. Sorry, Mark 12, 28, take two. Uh, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked which commandment is the most important of all. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, And with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And we are also called to comfort our neighbor. 
as the Spirit comforts us, and also to forgive as we have received forgiveness in Christ. I'll read now from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So how can we be expected to love as God has loved us? How can we be expected to forgive as God forgives us? And how can we be expected to comfort as God comforts? Let's go up one paragraph from there and read at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must walk, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created, that's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So then I ask again, how can a creature be holy? How can a creature be righteous? Or how can a creature be blameless? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? The answer to these questions is actually presented to us in the gospel. I'm going to read from a six-point summary of the gospel developed by John Piper. He actually also has a devotional on the same six points. Point number one is that God created us for his glory. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory. This is from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7. God made all of us in his own image so that we would image forth or reflect his character and his moral beauty. Again, God created us for his glory. Therefore, point number two, Every human 
should live for God's glory. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. The way to live for the glory of God is to love him. Matthew 22, verse 37. Trust him. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Be thankful to him. Psalm 50, verse 23. Obey him. Matthew 5, verse 16. And treasure him above all things. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. When we do these things, we image forth God's glory. So every human should live for God's glory. Nevertheless, point number three, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. So none of us has loved or trusted or thanked or obeyed or treasured God as we ought. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Again, let's, let me remind us of something I said earlier, which was the experiential nature of the Trinity. The love of God is made manifest to us primarily through the work of the Father. The grace of God is made manifest to us primarily through the work of the Son. And the comfort, assurance, conviction are made manifest to us primarily through the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's look back at the gospel. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Therefore, point number four, we all deserve eternal punishment. This is conviction. The wages of sin is eternal death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verses 23. Those who did not obey the Lord Jesus will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. And these will all go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. So we all deserve eternal punishment, yet, point number five, in his great mercy, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to provide for sinners the way of eternal life. This is the love of the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 3, verse 16. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. And Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. So in his great mercy, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to provide for, provide for sinners the way of eternal life. Therefore, point number six is that eternal life is a free gift to all who will trust in Christ as Lord and Savior and as the supreme treasure of their lives. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This is Acts chapter 16, verse 31. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Grace, or by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let me go back to our original discussion of love and are we lovable and remind us that God's love is without condition. God's love is not derived from his creation. God is love and we are his craftsmanship. God is love so it is because he loves us that we are lovable. And here is our last scripture reference. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We have about seven minutes for uh, any discussion related to some of the points I was making or any of the uh, points that uh, Ian Hamilton was discussing about John Owen or his presentation of communion with God. How are you lovable? Am I lovable? This, was a, this has always been a difficult question for me. I'm very comfortable with the idea that God is love and that God loves and because his works are not differentiable from his character. Um, but when I think about love in this way, I'm thinking about it as a theological construct. When I make it personal, this is a very difficult question for me um, because it's asking about the relationship that I have with the God of the universe. Um, and it's difficult for me personally to come to terms with the idea that the sovereign God of the universe who controls, who is in control of everything that ever happens everywhere somehow has a personal relationship with me. But again, I think the answer is that of course he does. God's love is unconditional. And we see that love most manifest, you know, in that he sent his only son to be the propitiation for our sins and 
also in his work of creation, you know, and as your eyes are opened to, to those manifestations of God's love, then you start to see his love in everything that, that he does, everything that you experience. It's not easy to come to terms with that, though. Right, and this is the same idea that he presented from, from John three sixteen. It's hard, it's hard to come to terms with the idea that God would love a sinner, that he would in that way reconcile himself to his creation. Um, I have, my, my family's recently gone through the experience of uh, fostering uh, two little puppies that were stray that we picked up um, in the East Ridge community. And the first one that we fostered, we named her Leah. And the reason that we named her that um, is because of a children's book, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible that we've been reading with our Bible study um, with uh, refugee, refugee children. And in that storybook Bible, it presents the idea that Leah was not appealing to men, but she was lovable because God loved her and he blessed her. Um, not, and it's, it's not bringing attention to um, the, anything about her specifically, but bringing attention to uh, the fact that when, when, the God, when the creator of the universe loves you, then you are lovable. Um, and we named our first little puppy Leah because of that, that she was a turned, that she was turned away from the world by the world, that she was astray, um, but she is lovable because we loved her. Um, I think this same, the same experience that we speak about how God loves us, we can extend, you know, as, as beings created in his image, we can extend that same love to the rest of his creation. Okay, well then, I guess that does it for today's lesson.